The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And you can sign up for that letter at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, a lot of things to talk about, a lot of positive news uh, going on in the gold space, as you can imagine, and the gold mining shares uh, at this point in time, given the rise in the price of gold. And I'll have a, a couple more words to say about that in a minute or two. I'd also like to let you know, once again, that I'm also, uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And Chen has some very exciting stocks that he's recommending these days uh, in the biotech space, a couple in particular, and Chen is also warming up to the uh, gold and silver mining shares as well. And go to miningstocks.com to sign up for Chen's letter as well. want to thank each of you for listening and like to encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, criticisms and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. And uh, also go to jtaylormedia.com where there's an awful lot of, I think, very interesting commentary. Uh, I'll have a word or two to say about that in uh, in a moment as well. I would like to let you know that I will be at the Metals Investor Forum on May 14th and 15th. That's at the Rosewood Hotel, Georgia, downtown Vancouver. I'll be speaking there, uh, and uh, I will also, uh, a few of my favorite companies uh, that I have invited to uh, to attend and to uh, tell about their stories, they'll be there as well. Avino Silver and Gold, Klondike Gold. Trimetals Mining and Golden Rain are four companies that I recommend in my newsletter that will uh, are planning to be at this conference. That's again on May 14th and 15th. It is free. Uh, however, you do need to pre-sign, uh, and it's about a 30-second task. Go to uh, if you go to jtaylormedia.com, you'll see the uh, the banner near the top, the Metals Investor Forum banner. Just click on that name, address, and email, and uh, bingo, you're in. Uh, but don't delay because there is a limit to how many people and how many seats are available, and they will close the doors uh, when that limit is met. So first come, first serve. Be sure you're there 
uh, go there now, jtaylormedia.com, click on the banner, name and email address, and you're in. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Metanor Resources and Avino Silver and Gold Mines. Metanor Resources just announced uh, some some pretty good assays that they are looking to increase the, uh, at least focus on the high-grade section at the Berry Mine. They can then take that gold, uh, those gold resources and gold ore and ship them down to their Bachelor Lake Mine. Uh, the advantage, one of the advantages they have with this higher-grade open pit uh, resource is that it is not subject to the streaming arrangement that the company has with Sandstorm, and that uh, uh, should give them a boost. Actually, Metanor Resources has done extremely well so far. Uh, it is up 152% this year, and I am really glad that we got it onto, uh, into our newsletter uh, before the run began. Avino Silver and Gold Mine is also doing very well, up 67%. Well, Avino has been uh, a profitable producer of silver and gold and some base metals. It's growing its production very dramatically, and uh, it should also be starting production from its uh, high-grade gold mine, underground gold mine, in British Columbia sometime in the near future. I think this is a very undervalued stock, a very undervalued company, also one that I own personally, and it is in my newsletter as well. In general, this has really been a very exciting year, quite a contrast with what we've had over the last few years, for sure. Uh, our model portfolio is up 46.59% as of the end of last week, uh, and uh, the, uh, the stocks that have really taken off are the junior gold shares, the explorations stocks were up 176% on average um, through the, the end of last week. The producers, those companies that more household name companies that you know about, were up 98% uh, on average. Uh, Other companies that are nearing production up 74%, and our prospect generators were up 85%. Now, that comes with silver and gold up not nearly as much. And this gives you an idea of the kind of leverage that can take place uh, with investments in the gold uh, mining space, gold and silver mining space. For example, gold was up uh, 19.85% at the end of last week, silver up 27.7%. But again, uh, as I just mentioned, uh, the junior gold shares, uh, the exploration companies up 176%. Well, just to give you an idea of some of the outstanding uh, gainers on our list, Silvercrest Mines, uh, absolutely blowing away everything, up 741%. That company uh, it, it has some some great exploration results, in, and I'm expecting some really big things from them as well uh, in Mexico. Colorado Resources up 552%. Pure Gold Mining up 400%. Ceros Resources up 330%. New Legacy Gold 309%. And then there's a host of others that are up uh, from 100% on up. Uh, that's among the companies that are exploring for gold, uh, those that are uh, the exploration companies. And um, from other companies that have really done extremely well, Great Panther, a, go- a silver producer in Mexico, is up 289%. First Majestic Silver up 206%. Uh, others that have done extremely well, New Market Gold up 179%. Midas Gold up, up 156%. Almadex Minerals up 177 Riverside Resources up 147 uh, and um, Corvus Gold up 192%. So it has really been you know, a, a year to be excited about, uh, contrary to the last three or four years in the gold space. And for sure, when I st- first started this, uh, this show back in 2009, gold was just then starting its ascent. We had a few very good years, uh, and um, 
a lot of money was made in this sector, and I think we're, our time is coming again for the junior gold sector. Well, Novo Resources, which I haven't talked about that much recently, remains my number one pick and my top allocation in my own personal portfolio. I'm expecting some exciting news to come forth from uh, Quinton Henning in the near future, uh, especially uh, with respect to the blue spec trend, which is uh, some new ground that uh, Novo has recently picked up. Uh, that's real close to the uh, Whitwaters Ran Reefs Whitwaters ran like reefs, I should say, that has been the focus of this company and remains the focus of this company with some near-term test production scheduled to take place. But Dr. Henning is extremely excited about the blue spec trend, which uh, he's realizing now was mineralized at the same time as the Whitwaters ran reefs. In in other words, a precipitation event that is, uh, he believes, has endowed this sector, this, uh, this trend. Uh, with rich deposits of gold. Of course, that is to be determined with drilling and exploration, but uh, Dr. Henning is very excited. And you can listen to the most recent interview I did with Dr. Henning if you go to miningstocks.com. Go to the podcast page at miningstocks.com to listen to that. Uh, to that commentary. We also have a lot of written commentary at J. Taylor Media, and I hope that you will go there just to give you an idea of some of the items that are at J. Taylor Media right now. More signs of helicopter money, that's a question mark and an article that I wrote. The war on savings, the Panama Papers, bail-ins, and push-to-go cashless uh, from Ellen Brown. Uh, the fraudulence of the U.S. petrodollar is getting harder to hide, an article that I wrote. Uh, why are Russia and China buying gold? Tons of it. Well, it's an article that I wrote that was uh, really come to us uh, as a result of, uh, of uh, Professor Engdahl. Uh, are central banks running uh, the oil market uh, or just the world? That was David Haggath, uh, an, a person who's been on our show in the past. Lots of other very exciting and I think very uh, insightful articles that are there from the Daily Finning, David Stockman, uh, Chris Vermeulen talks about the next technical price targets for gold and silver, uh, and lots uh, lots more things I think that uh, are very worthwhile. We hope you'll go to J. Taylor Media and enjoy some of the content that's there uh, and hopefully profit from that content as well. Um, I would just like to mention a couple of articles that I think are really worth reading at Zero Hedge. I I spent a lot of time on Zero Hedge, but one in particular I would suggest you go to read is uh, titled Ken Rogoff's Shockingly Simple Advice to Emerging Markets, Hoard Gold. Well, Ken Rogoff is certainly uh, a Keynesian, if ever there was one, and certainly one of the ruling elite's members, uh, but he is suggesting that that, that smaller companies should... Uh, increase their gold hoarding. Well, my goodness, I, I suppose, though, that that fits if you're a one-world government advocate because what you really want to do is bring the rich countries down and pull up the poor countries, and there's no better way of doing that, I would suggest, uh, than encouraging them to own real money instead of the fake stuff that we are forced to use at the point of a gun by our government, the fraudulent U.S. dollar that we are all uh, really basically forced, have no choice but to use, well, Ken Rogoff is suggesting that the third world countries should start exchanging their worthless currency for gold. My goodness, I think if it's good enough for third world countries, it's probably good enough for you and me as well. 
let's move quickly to today's show. I titled it Taking the Petro Out of the Dollar. Well, that is taken from an article that Alistair McLeod, my guest, my main guest today, will, uh, has written, and Alistair will be with us in just a few minutes, about a half past the hour. Saudi Arabia has been in the news recently for several interconnected reasons. Underlying it all uh, is a spendthrift country that is rapidly becoming insolvent. What does that mean for the legitimacy of the U.S. dollar based not on gold but on a vibrant Saudi Arabia that demands all OPEC nations pay for oil in dollars, that they receive oil for dollars, uh, I, should, I should say. Now, what if Saudi Arabia finds better friends like China or India or a gold-backed international currency to satisfy its own economic needs? So those are questions and more that we want to ask Alistair uh, at half past the hour. More directly, with respect to where the rubber hits the road, though, Michael Oliver will be with me in just a minute or two here. Um, his plate tectonic shifts, which he talked to us about in the middle of last year, they really seem to be panning out now. They seem to be coming to fruition. Michael has been spot on with regard to his market calls with respect to the equity markets, but in particular the precious metals markets, which he saw leading this major shift uh, that he talked about uh, last year in 2016 or 2015, predicting they would all come to pass in 2016. Well, we're certainly seeing gold uh, out the chute upwards and onwards beyond breaking through resistance levels. Uh, but we're going to talk to Michael right after we come back from the break about that, and we're going to find out what he's uh, what his thoughts are now uh, on these major markets. Like, uh, well, of course, the equity markets, the bond markets. Uh, most importantly for the listeners to this show, the precious metals market. So we are going to go to commercial break now, but don't go away because uh, Michael Oliver will be with me. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Michael Oliver with me again. We missed Michael last week. Sometimes the schedule is so full, it's hard to squeeze him in, but we like to have him here as often as possible. In fact, he is uh, the most frequent guest we've had over the years uh, because his message is so important. I found it to be so accurate. So welcome, Michael, for uh, coming on my show again. I'm glad to have you with me. I'm always glad to be back, Jay. Always good to have you. You know, I, I, I couldn't say that if you were telling me stuff that wasn't working, but it's working. Right. Uh, I mean, you're a nice guy, so even if, if, you were, if you were screwing up in your recommendations, I would still like to talk to you and have you around. But uh, the fact is, everything I've seen you do so far uh, has been really very accurate. So uh, I want to ask you to, a little bit about, you know, this sort of big picture that you talked about last year. You talked about some major tectonic shifts. We've had these bull markets in uh, in debt. My goodness, the bull market in uh, U.S. Treasuries goes back to about 1982 or something like that. Uh, and, of course, we've had this equity market since 2008, 2009. It's been on a tear. And you talked about this major tectonic shifts in the markets where those that were in bull markets will head south and those that were heading south already are likely to turn, or turn positive and, and certainly uh, you know the the precious metals markets have started that out. The commodity markets you've predicted would also um, would also rise as well at some point here. Where do we stand? Uh, just just go over that with us, uh, perhaps for the benefit of those that haven't that might not have heard you last year, Michael. The major tectonic well, shifts. Talk about that. The um, the, the asset classes move. Uh, money moves everything, and and central banks provide the money. Okay, that's that's the grease and the wheel. Okay, or sure. The, viewed as the water level in the swimming pool. It's always rising. Okay? Uh, sometimes where they want the money to go, it goes there. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it goes where they want it to go, but later it changes trend. It's like a river that you know changes its route. Uh, investors are the key in that. And it was my view that commodities had, first off, commodities had beat stocks handily from 2000 through 2011. Mm-hmm. You didn't make any money in the stock market for that period of time in the S and P, for example. Whereas commodities went up drastically. Gold went from three hundred dollars to nineteen hundred. You know, then commodities peaked in two thousand eleven. It was pretty clear at the time in our reports. Uh, they they topped in relative performance and in net trend. They all went down uh, in varying stages. Oil was sort of the last one to really give it up, and and got all the headlines. And most people weren't aware of the commodity collapse till then. Well, you can only take commodities so low. And I don't care what the arguments are about how supply demand is no good and, and we're in a worldwide recession or whatever, whatever the argument may be. Commodities will not go to zero. And after they've had enough due time and down on the downside and have given off the technical evidence of a bottom, then expect a bottom. And we could see that last year clearly shaping up with gold in the leadership role, silver neck and neck with it, uh, and also the gold miners. And sure enough, those three broke out early in the year, uh, completed by early February. And in April, the lagging commodities, such as oil, cotton, uh, corn, soybeans, joined in. And some of them really had to make a race of it in the latter part of April to achieve the breakout levels that I needed to see on quarterly momentum. But that shift is underway now. I think you've got the oversold commodity markets, some of which are, are now genuine bull markets like gold, some of which are having, going to have major bear market rallies. That would I would count as oil, uh, which I think is going to about 60 by the end of this year. Um, and that up move in commodities will attract the attention of investors. Already some have made the move out of unstable sideways stocks 
which is really an optimistic definition. Because if you look at the European markets, they're not sideways. Mm-hmm. In Japan, it is not sideways. It's only the S&P, the S&P 100, and the Dow that are sideways for the last two years. But <clears throat> that makes investors nervous on the one hand, that which has been rewarding them for a long time. And they're starting to move some of that money out into commodities, which can be perceived as value play. Mm-hmm. So all the money's out there. Central banks have offered it, uh, provided it amply, but it's changing its route. And I think that one of the key factors also is the debt market. And I'm speaking not of the high-yield debt, which has already suffered a lot, but the mm-hmm. so-called safe debt sector. That'd be government bonds, the U.S., German, and Japanese, which yield uh, uh, very little. Uh, that trend looks in jeopardy. Uh, the uptrend in price, the downtrend in yield. That looks like it's going to turn this year. Oh. The only question in my mind is whether that turns after the S&P has another major leg down, because the S&P going down would entice some buyers to buy safety, quote-unquote, sure. and therefore keep the bonds afloat, or whether the bonds are actually going to break first, yields are going up, and that's going to drag the S&P down. And that's the right. one question mark I have. But I, right. I do think that we're going to see a top in, in prices and bonds this year and a much deeper uh, decline in the stock market. Well, it certainly seems to me to be all about confidence, Michael. You know, as long as people are confident in the dollar, confident in the in the United States and its uh, the, the dollar hegemony, uh, hegemony, I should say, that uh, in fact, you know, whenever the equity markets go down, as you say, money flows back into the bond markets. But what happens if there is a loss of confidence in the dollar itself and in the uh, you know in the elections or whatever might trigger? The, uh, a loss of confidence, and and then you could see that happen, I guess, and and who knows, I guess. But what are you can't really tell, I guess, at this point in time, which is going to come first from your momentum work. Oh, it's it's true. up in the air at this stage. Well, they're they're both. Well, uh, the S and P is already, as far as I'm concerned, it's a broken beast. It's a uh-huh. dead man walking. It's going down. It's just fooling around right now. This has been a bear market rally. It is not not a, a surge to some new highs or anything of that sort. It's just caught in congestion, sharp down, then a sharp back up. Uh, but it is a top. The question is whether it goes down in the next month or two, which I expect, and bonds are with it, and whether a weak bond market helps precipitate. And I see the rising commodity market could rattle the bond market, see? Yes. That's the issue. Because yeah. I see the, the commodity rise is not a tepid one. I see double-digit percent gains in most mm-hmm. commodities. In mm-hmm. oil, we're talking, I, I think, $60 can be seen later this year. Well, measure it from a $26 low. That's a heck of a percent move. Uh, do that to you know umpteen commodities, and you're going to have some inflation numbers right. uh, more than the central banks want. That could rattle the bond markets, which right. in turn could then drag the S and P down. Um, the the fact well, one of the factors you just mentioned though is the dollar, and the dollar index has been sliding <clears throat> since last year's high, just above 100. It, uh, the lows last year were generally in the 93 and a half, 94 zone. We've since broken below that. And annual momentum suggested that would probably happen this year, but the key factor in that's the euro. And the euro, the yen had a heck of an up move over the, since late last year. Mm-hmm. The, yen, uh, the euro did not. The euro basically held in a range. Well, a week or two ago, we put out a report and argued the euro had broken out. That's when it was in the high 114s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been up into the 116 cents, and I think we could go well above 120. Mm-hmm. That will move the dollar down because that's 57% of the dollar index. Mm-hmm. That will get your foreign exchange market uh, factor in play. Mm-hmm. 
and certainly would uh, would be bullish, I would think, for commodities and hence the inflation scare. With trillions of dollars created out of nothing, Michael, you know, stocks are mm-hmm. dead men walking. A dead man walking, I think, is the way you put it. Uh, with all of this money floating around, though, there are going to be people that argue that stocks can't go down. They've got to go up because you've got all this liquidity in there. And, and certainly, it, it seems the powers that be, the last thing they want is a crashing equity market or even a slowly declining equity market. Well, that may be the last thing they want, but uh, <laughs> um, my work suggests they're going to get it. They're going to get a major dig down in the S&P. Uh, and I strongly suspect now that the, the first real potential resting point for the S&P for a major rally, uh, not the one we just saw, which is only like a 12, 13, 14%, uh, is in the high 1500s. Uh, so yeah. I've, I've lowered my initial target. But uh, I think that'll happen. Now, whether the bonds cause that to happen, which I suspect may be the factor. Uh-huh. Um, for example, the, the 30-year T-bond futures uh, last week traded just below 161. I'm arguing down around 159, they're, they're over with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so wow. they came within a point or two of numbers that <clears throat> they cannot visit. If they visit those numbers, they're going down. And I actually have been arguing that if bonds go down, it could be crash-like. And I'm talking the government safe stuff. Oh, that's uh, uh, that's frightening. That, yeah, the reason I argue that's technical. Uh, I'm not yeah. making a fundamental case that you know the right. uh, El Arian makes that case that the biggest bubble out there is the debt yield bubble, and right. I totally agree with him on a fundamental basis. But I'm looking right. at the long-term technicals, and they indicate if you break, you could break hard and fast, meaning yields could rise quickly. Well, that is not something we look forward to. Uh, you know, I'm a gold bug. I like to see gold rising, but the last thing we any of us want to see are a chaos in the markets and uh, crash-like circumstances because that doesn't that's not a good thing. But it is what it is, as you point out. And I must say, Michael, that if the technicals are suggesting that Elarian is right, um, you know, I think you've got to look at it very seriously. Then I think people better be be aware. And of course, the logical thing would be to get the heck out of the bond market, get the heck out of Treasuries, right? Yep, at the appropriate time. <laughs> it's always. But you know, time. the problem is yeah. that all these pension funds are, are, you know, all these institutions don't have any place to go. It seems. That's what's so scary. The uh, and, you bond know, market used to be more evenly distributed, and now it's not. It's very heavy in that that uh, the higher yielding end, I mean, in the longer end of the bond market, or the bonds or the GGBs, uh, because you can't get any interest on the short term end. Uh, the, the short debt, so they're out in the long end, so they're very crowded, and that is scary. Well, it's scary, but here's something I have to tell you. I just This really caught my attention a little before the show started here. Ken Rogoff uh, is suggesting that third world countries should be trading in their currencies for gold. Can you imagine that? Uh, I think I, it's a great idea. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. It's a great idea for everyone, I think. But uh, yeah. that if everyone tried to get out of the door at once, it'd be like the, uh, what's Doug Casey say, it's like the... Uh, Niagara River going through a garden hose. So, uh, you know, that's well, the problem, isn't it? Sometimes. Nothing we can do about it. <laughs> Nothing we can do about it. Michael, I want to thank you so much for your insights. Folks, it's M, uh, it's OliverMSA.com. OliverMSA.com. Uh, I, I find his I, th- I find Michael's work to be the most important technical work that I look at. It's not necessarily for short-term traders, but if you need to have a sense of where the markets are going uh, longer term, to have a sense of whether you should be weighted in one direction or another, I don't know of any, uh, any service that's better. Uh, it's OliverMSA.com. Thank you so much for being with us again, uh, Michael, and we'll look forward to doing it again next week. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. Folks, uh, don't go away. We do have to go to commercial break, but uh, when we come back, Alistair McCloud is going to be with me, and uh, he has some very interesting things to talk about. 
having to do with Saudi Arabia and the petrodollar. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino is partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. Alistair has been on this show a number of times. His bio is posted uh, at the Voice America Business Channel website, uh, my page there. Uh, this show's page at that channel. Uh, go there and read more about Alistair, but uh, more importantly, I would suggest that you go to goldmoney.com. Go there frequently. Uh, to catch up with what Alistair is uh, writing about. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have Alistair on today is to talk to him about one of his most recent articles having to do with the petrodollar. Taking the petro out of the petrodollar was the title of his article. Thanks for joining me again, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. Always good to have you, even though you do have a funny accent. (laughs) I'm not going to change it even for you. Well, you know, it's a little bit like your accent is the pure accent. Ours is the hillbilly accent from from across the pond. But uh, in any event, my wife is Portuguese, and she speaks proper Portuguese that people in Brazil do not. So anyway. uh, (laughs) I know how she feels. (laughs) (laughs) You know how she feels, right? All right. Well, you know, um, shortly after Nixon detached the dollar from gold, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger arranged a series of agreements with Saudi Arabia to require payments for that country's oil in U.S. dollars, and I guess he arranged also with the other OPEC countries, Saudi Arabia being the the leader amongst that group, to do the same. Can you talk a little bit about those agreements and how that led to the dollar-based international monetary system that exists yet to this day? It was a very interesting time because, um, uh, you know, America uh, was faced with the inevitable rise in the price of oil. I mean, I think their analysts saw that, and I often wonder... Uh, to what extent the Nixon shock 
included an assessment of the future price of oil, oh. uh, which might have determined um, you know, Nixon's action. Um, that was never mentioned at the time, but it, it was only a gap of a couple of years. And I, I, I feel sure that uh, some of the smarter analysts um, advising the government at that time would have um, said, you know, we do have this problem coming down the road. Um, now, if I'm right in that assumption, then I think by the time uh, Kissinger started negotiating with um, Saudi Arabia in particular, I think they already had a pretty good idea uh, of what sort of approach they should follow. And I think um, it was really a constructive approach because um, it was quite clear that America would have to print the dollars in order to pay for the higher oil prices. Uh, and what they wanted to do was effectively to control the oil market through those means. So that while the Arabs could, you know, blackmail us, if you want to put it that way, uh, into paying higher oil prices, um, at least what, what America wanted was for the oil prices to be determined in dollars. They were already mm -hmm. determined in dollars, but for them to continue to be determined in dollars. Now, that was very, very important because um, the, the one area which was going to really suffer as far as America was concerned from higher oil prices was Latin America. Now, Latin America at that time was uh, likely to fall under the sway of uh, the Soviet Union, uh, there was, you know, you had the sort of the Che Guevara and all that sort of stuff. Um, and consequently, it was uh, a very important strategic objective to make sure that uh, Latin America stayed on side. And part of um, uh, the way in which this worked was the, the petrodollars that were created, if you like, to pay for the higher price of oil. Instead of them going back to America and undermining the value of the dollar domestically in America, they were recycled through Citibank and other banks at that time mm -hmm. uh, uh, to, in loans to Latin America. And that in inevitably ended in the early 80s with a, a Latin American debt crisis. But what it did was it, it effectively secured um, the role of the dollar, um, if you like, as, as the control factor in oil prices as far as the West was concerned. And that was the importance, really, of, of, of uh, Kissinger's um, uh, negotiations with Saudis. Oh, that's very interesting. So then... What would have happened if Nixon hadn't taken us off the gold system, off, off the gold standard? What had, I mean, if we'd have remained attached to gold, then it would have been a lot higher and we would have had to pay a lot more. Are you suggesting uh, for, uh, for the oil that we needed to import? Well, inevitably, uh, I mean, by then, the London gold pool had failed a few years before. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it was quite clear that there was a sort of tsunami of dollars abroad likely to wash back into America. And that was even before the oil price <laughs> was, was raised um, by, by, uh, the, you know, by the, the producers in the Middle East. Um, so I, I really think that, that uh, when it came to, to gold, they'd really, the America didn't really have an awful lot of option. I mean, either they jacked up the price to something which the market would have thought was um, destabilizing, if you like, in currency terms, or mm -hmm. alternatively, um, they just sort of went off it and tried to say that, you know, pretend that gold actually wasn't money anyway. So. Yeah. Um, that you know, they chose that course, and I can understand why. I mean, we're, we're talking about um, you know a government. Governments don't like f being held to ransom by free markets, <laughs> which of course was what gold was threatening to do. 
Very interesting. I always uh, sort of thought that it was related more to uh, geopolitics. Well, it is geopolitics, but in a different way than I had uh, understood it before, Alistair. I had always sort of looked at, uh, you know, I, re- I remember living as a young man during those days when uh, the United States was, was, in, uh, was in Vietnam, uh, and we had guns and butter. We had Lyndon Johnson uh, with socialism, another round of it, a, a greater amount of it through a great society. How was it to be paid for? Well, um, De Gaulle and other countries didn't, you know, they were wanting the real stuff. They were demanding the real money, so gold, and so gold was leaving our coffers, and uh, and Nixon slammed uh, the window shut. But here you're providing, I think, greater depth in my understanding than I had before about the complexities of this, and, and maybe maybe a more sympathetic attitude towards it uh, than I had before. But are you saying then, uh, Alistair, would the world be better off today if we hadn't gone off the gold standard? Um, that's a very difficult question to yes, ask. Yes, I guess it's almost I mean, impossible I, to answer. But I, I would like to. I, I would like to take a slightly different approach. If we um, maintained a sound money approach to economics the world would be a far better place. We wouldn't have all this debt round our necks. Yes. Um, the other side of sound money is that people have to accept change. So you wouldn't have legacy in, uh, industries um, being supported by government uh, all around the world. I mean, this doesn't happen so much in America, but certainly uh, in Europe. I mean, half of Europe basically is, uh, is unproductive. Capital is tied up inefficiently. Yes. Um, if we had sound money then, uh, you know, that just couldn't happen. So the world would be a better place for sound money. Now, what role would gold would play in that, um, of course, is then a sort of ways and means um, uh, discussion. But certainly the only sound money that does exist is gold, simply because governments can't, uh, can't print it or can't expand. I mean, they can expand credit, which is the other thing. That gives us the, the business cycles, which is unfortunately, business cycles are actually credit cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when I talk about sound money, I'm talking about something which is actually very different from uh, even what we had in uh, the 60s and 70s. Right. Uh, I'm talking about uh, doing away with fractional reserve banking. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's the answer to your question is actually a lot more complex than, uh, you know, would we bet- than the answer to a simple question like, would we better- be better off if we still had a gold standard? Right. Uh, it's a very, very complex issue. I mean, the answer is yes, sound money is really what we need. But um, if, we, you know, if we did away with sound money, uh, we have what, what we have today, which is, which is, can I just get rid of this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, certainly the fractional reserve banking, uh, Alistair, uh, if, um, if you're there. Uh, yeah. fractional, fractional reserve banking uh, certainly is as big a sin, I would, I would argue, as, uh, uh, as the uh, paper monetary system that we have as well. Uh, so we've, so I, I can understand now you've explained in part why the United States would want to, you know, create the petrodollars. What would be in it for Saudi Arabia? Why would they want to go along with it? Well, it's, it, it is a two-way street because they've got to sell the oil, basically, and they need a means of, of, of being paid. I think the other side of it was that uh, America wasn't going to tell the Saudis how to um, invest their money, as it were, mm-hmm. other than 
one, um, you know, understanding that they really had very little option but to put most of their money into U.S. Treasuries uh, because there was nothing else really. I mean, remember in those days, the 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 Arabs um, uh, basically understood two things: they understood gold and they understood property. They didn't understand equities. They didn't understand. Um, interest-paying bonds because that's against Sharia law. Right. Um, you know, so it it it's really a sort of a very limited situation. Um, and the other thing is that the beneficiaries of the high oil price weren't so much the Saudi state; it was the Saudi royal family and all their members mm-hmm. um, and their hangers-on. So um, it's it's actually sort of a rather sort of difficult situation to compare with anything that we're familiar with. But these individuals had their own advisors, and these advisors tended to be Swiss private banks. And mm. the Swiss private bankers in those days said, um, look, it is quite simple. You should put somewhere between 10 and 20% of your dollars into gold. And the result was that you had this enormous uh, bull market in, in gold in the early 70s when it ran up from the sort of 40-odd dollar level up to $200. Um, it then came back to $100, and then it went on, the, uh, on, on a second run, which took it eventually up to $850. Um, but you know, the, every time in that first run that America tried to push the price of gold down by having an auction, um, you know, they were basically cleaned out by Arab money. So... <laughs> You know, um, that's what the Arabs did in those days. Um, and they, they accumulated very substantial piles of gold. Uh, and uh, they have still got most of that to this day. All right. So we've had this symbiotic relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia. Uh, I, I gather from your article that uh, that this may not be a relationship that lasts forever. What do you see that might threaten uh, the existing relationship. I know y- you talked in your article about this new younger leader, uh, King Salman, who is now um, ascended to the throne in Saudi Arabia. What do you see that might start to cause uh, a rift between uh, this symbiotic relationship that's gone on since uh, since the early 70s? Right. Well, first of all, uh, King Salman is um, is actually uh, you know sort of he was the brother of the previous king. The 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 Salman that I was talking about was a deputy crown prince uh, Salman. Okay. Um, who, who is in his I think he's in his thirties. He's a, he's a young, energetic uh, uh, man. Has a great um, deal of power, though. He has it. Well, yes, he has. Um, uh, but you know the problem the problem there is that. He is he is advising the government. Um, now, the government is not the Saudi royal family. The Saudi royal family is actually very, very conservative. It's unlikely that the recommendations, in my opinion, the recommendations that he's been pushing through uh, will actually find much traction with his own family. Um, you know, there are lots of people in the government who see the finances uh, of the Saudi government as being in very poor shape and would want to grasp, let us say, uh, a plan for the future. But I don't think that's quite what, um, you know, what uh, the king and, uh, <laughs> and all the sort of very conservative um, uh, princes would really, would really want. So, uh, I mean, the, prob- the, the reason this has arisen partly is that the fall in the oil price in 2015 has left um, really a very profligate uh, government in Saudi Arabia very, very short of funds. They're not getting the oil revenue that they thought they were getting. Um, They're high spending, um, and consequently, they're really strapped for money. 
Now, this, this is um, the background to a situation where they actually had to go out and they have, for the first time since uh, Saddam Hussein um, uh, uh, went to... So let me get rid of that. For the first time since Saddam Hussein um, uh, uh, invaded Kuwait, uh, the Saudis have gone into the uh, credit markets and they've borrowed $10 billion uh, in a five-year syndicated loan. As well as that, they're looking to sell 5% uh, of Aramco uh, for a figure thought to be in the region of $100 billion equivalent. Um, so, you know, they're needing the money. Now, this is interesting because this is the background to the stories that were going around New York that uh, the Saudis were likely to sell uh, some of their treasuries, if not mm -hmm. all of their treasuries. Now, just imagine if, if um, uh, the Saudis decided to dump $750 billion worth of treasuries on the market. I mean, that would kill the U.S. Treasury market. And because we're talking about the prime uh, collateral for the whole of the global financial system, uh, there is absolutely no doubt it would crash all markets uh, in the West. So that just couldn't be allowed to happen. So I think, um, you know, the, the alarm bells over, uh, you know, were members of the royal family or members of the government or whatever implicated in 9-11. You can see how that sort of stirred things up at actually quite an unfortunate moment. Well, uh, you can understand, though, why people, you know, that suffered a loss of their loved ones on 9-11 would want to know. The 28 pages from the 9-11 report that uh, the Congress is trying to get, um, to have made public, I mean, you could understand. You would wonder why uh, the government is so much against having those that information released because the Saudi Arabians have have clearly left us know that they don't, you know they don't want that to happen. If they have, if they're not involved, why? You know the uh, logical question is why? Why are they? Why are they worried about having those twenty-eight pages uh, passed on to the public? And why also would President Obama then be so much against it? I guess because it could stir up these markets. I guess, huh? Well, I think that's right. And um, you know, going, I, I go back to the structure of. Um, uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, you have the royal family. Now, this is a, a disparate group of royal blood or, re, you know, related, distantly related. I mean, typically, um, you know, sort of a uh, king in the past had uh, several wives, several children by several wives. So you can see how the sort of the numbers just multiply out. I mean, I, th mm -hmm. I heard some time ago an estimate there were 4,000 princes or something. I know, I don't oh. know whether that's right. Yes, but it gives uh, you an idea of um, you know now how do you how do you actually control that lot? How do you uh, ensure that none of them um, get involved with uh, a very very um, uh, well known um, family the 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 uh, uh, the bin Ladens um, sure. and, and back them so, so you can see that this is this is really uh, a real problem mm. so um, you know, it's a situation where there, by definition, could not be any control over the royal family at all. So when facts come out uh, from redacted um, uh, uh, documents over over nine uh, over nine eleven, I mean, it is it is very very likely that various important people in the Saudi um, royal family may well have been involved. Yeah. Um, 
Now, this, so you can see how this rings alarm bells, um, not only in, in, in Saudi Arabia, but also in, in, in Washington, because the implications, if they really upset the Saudis, are just absolutely horrendous. Um, because the Saudis do have this sort of legacy of treasuries, which um, they've got no reason to hold on to anymore. Um, and uh, furthermore, they're strapped for cash. So they're, you know, they're likely to be sellers of it. So, yeah. you know, going back to that wise old man, Kissinger, I mean, his approach to this would be to realize that these guys have got to sell their treasuries, but to get them to do it in an orderly way. And I'm mm -hmm. I'm personally convinced that the the, the, the two uh, special meetings uh, at the FOMC, um, it was definitely not about interest rates. I mean, that's absolutely clear um, because there was no change in that front. I think it might have been to do with that. And um, for confirmation, Janet Yellen went to uh, have a meeting with uh, President Obama, uh, which tells me that there was a foreign dimension to whatever they were discussing at the FOMC. So mm -hmm. I'm pointing the finger at this this problem, if you like, uh, as being something which uh, the authorities just had to deal with and catch before it d disintegrated into something really rather nasty. Well, I, I talk about something really nasty. I mean, can you imagine if Donald Trump got a hold of something like that in the campaign <laughs> trail? Or, or if he became president and, uh, uh, well, you know, maybe, maybe uh, a cooler head would prevail uh, <laughs> if, and, if and when he were in the White House, one can hope. Well, uh, Go ahead. What, what, one, what one hopes. The only thing I would say, say, say about uh, Mr. Trump is that he seems to me to be very good at saying what people want him want to hear them hear him say, which right. of course is 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 very incorrect and all the rest of it. Um, I'm told that he is a very clever man, uh, so I would hope that if he is elected president, uh, that actually that sense would prevail rather than. <laughs> him carrying out some of the, the wilder statements, like building a wall, you know, between uh, the States and Mexico, all that stuff. I mean, some of his foreign, some of his foreign affairs um, uh, stuff, I think, actually, because it's not sort of um, cast iron neocon um, uh, theory, as it were, I think um, shows a little bit of refreshment in, in, in mm -hmm. the air, but not, um, you know, I, we, we have to wait and see on that one. It may not yeah, happen. Yeah, we we certainly do have to wait and see, and I I um I just I just can't imagine. Well, well, Alistair, you know, I I was just thinking though, what politician when he's running for office uh, doesn't pander to the to the public, and unless maybe your uh, your politicians over there across the pond are a bit more sophisticated, and and your populace is more sophisticated too, perhaps than Americans, huh? Um, yes. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you guys have your hooligans at football games. Do those guys vote? Well, we have we have our hooligans in politics as well. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you do. But I mean, when we think of a Tony Blair here, uh, a very smooth operator. I mean, I, I think even more dangerous in some ways are the are the guys that are that speak with silver tongues and have, uh, you, you know, have a way of selling us a bill of goods uh, smoothly. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. You know, uh, so I, mean, I, I think I think it's interesting because I, you know, that someone like like him and also President Obama. I think what they've got actually is is a lot of personality. They're the sort of people I would be very happy to have to, to you know to share a dinner table with. Oh yes, I, but, I think you know, <laughs> but there are many politicians who I would not say that of. Well, let me ask you though: Would you wouldn't you want to double check to make sure you have your wallet when you leave or your wristwatch when you leave? Dinner I would leave it behind. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> before you go there. All right. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, you know, uh, Saudi Arabia, from what I've understood, is is also, uh, you know, concerned about loss of market share in places like China and so forth. Russia selling their oil to China, uh, Iran selling their oil to China. It's my understanding, and not necessarily, not for sure, not dollars, but uh, local currencies, and in some cases, uh, reportedly, gold is the medium of exchange for oil sales to China. Um, and and I and I think that there's there's certainly been meetings between Russia and Saudi Arabia and China and Saudi Arabia. Do you do you see the possibilities with you know we've had uh, William Engdahl on this show frequently talks about uh, the rising markets of China and Russia and India, uh, the New Silk Road and so forth uh, that is taking place the um, uh, the infrastructure that's being put in place for trade and banking that's going on outside of the uh, the dollar hegemony. Um, do do you see uh, the possibilities of Saudi Arabia teaming up with some of those countries that are considered adversaries uh, of the of the U.S. and the uh, say the Anglo-American Empire? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, so far as I'm aware, Saudi Arabia doesn't supply any oil to America at all now. Um, yeah. I think that they supply some to to uh, Europe. Um, uh, but their main market is, and their main developing market is, is obviously Asia. I mean, you've got um, uh, India, which is uh, the real dynamic economy at the moment. I mean, that really is taking off. And, you know, you're looking sort of 7 8% compound uh, annual growth in GDP. I mean, this is, this is a, a very dynamic situation. And, of course, you've got China. And you're right um, that uh, Saudi Arabia... Um, uh, while her natural market is now uh, Asia, uh, she is in competition with Iran and Russia. Um, but, you know, that's, that really, in a sense, plays into China's hands because China is very happy to say, you know, well, yeah, we'll take your oil, but, you know, these are the terms sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's, there's quite a lot of that going on. Um, but equally, I think from China's point of view, she's in a position to help Saudi Arabia out of her financial difficulties. And I think that, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that Aramco stake, if it does come on the market, China could just buy the lot um, mm. you know, and not notice the difference. I mean, we're talking about $100 billion. Uh, China has something like $3.3 .3 trillion of foreign reserves. You know, so what's the problem? And uh, furthermore, I can see China um, uh, making loans to Saudi Arabia to help her through, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Uh, this sort of rather sticky low price right. low oil price patch um, but you know again you see from China's point of view that's actually a dream come true because what she'll do is she'll lend Saudi Arabia some dollars and say um, the repayment terms are that they've got to be converted back into uh, renminbi or yuan if you like mm -hmm. um, at a future date at, a, at this rate and mm -hmm. you know what well. that does as far as China is concerned is it means that she can see that there is going to be a demand for her currency mm -hmm. down the road, which allows her to internationalize her currency to that extent and mm -hmm. not lose control over its purchasing power. That's exactly what it's been wanting to do and what it's been talking about doing. With just two minutes left here, uh, Alistair, let me ask you, the uh, your view then, as I take it, the, on the dollar, is we've seen the peak in the dollar for the, sh for the near term, long term, what? 
I think I think we've seen the peak. Um, China has turned things round by uh, suddenly, um, uh, for her thirteenth five-year plan, she started buying commodities, basically to invest throughout Asia, not just in her her economy, but throughout Asia. And I think that means the days when people were panicking into the dollar, those days are over, and the dollar now faces the repatriation of dollars from overseas, which is bound to. Uh, weaken its um, its position in the foreign exchange markets, and particularly its purchasing power in commodities. Now, Michael Oliver is convinced. We had him on before. You, our uh, technical analyst that is on our show frequently here, is absolutely convinced that gold has broken through, and he's looking at fourteen fifty as the first major resistance level. Gold has certainly picked up a lot this year. Uh, our little business is is doing much better. We're very pleased with our gold shares. How are, are things going at Gold Money? Uh, are you seeing some increase in interest in uh, people owning gold at gold money? Uh, yes. I mean, it, it, it's a bit of a mixture, actually, because uh, quite a lot of people bought gold uh, in 2011 and uh-huh. obviously paid a very high price. So they're now, they've now got the quandary. They've seen the price recover somewhat. So do they sell some now? Uh, is recovered because it might go lower, or do they ha- stay with it? So you've got a you know a little bit of a sort of a cross flow in it. Right. Well, we would uh, like to remind people to go to goldmoney.com, go to jtaylormedia.com, and click on the goldmoney.com banner or the Bitgold uh, banner as well. And uh, there's some very exciting services that are going on uh, that are available. Gold Money I've known for many years, James Turk and Alistair McLeod of that uh, that company, which is now part of the Bitgold group. Uh, so uh, I, I really thank you, Alistair, for being with us. Always so good to have you. We'd like to have you come on sometime and talk a bit more about Bitgold and some of the things that Gold Money is doing along with Bitgold. Uh, that, I think, would be very practical for our listeners, so I hope we can have you back sometime in the near future to talk about that, all right? I would love to. I'd love to, Ray. That would be great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Alistair will do it again sometime real soon. Folks, that's all the time we have. Next week, Jimmy Rogers will be with us. He'll be my main guest, and we're going to talk to him about the future of the U.S. dollar and uh, how he sees things from his perch there in Singapore. Uh, how does he view the, the world, gold, precious metals, of course, commodities and the dollar and stocks and everything else we can ask Jimmy Rogers about next week, so don't. We hope that you'll be with us then. I do want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, and all of, all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.